0: If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, if. Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
1: Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up?
0: To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
2: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
0: How are you there, John? You're looking at me very straight. <laughs> I'm
2: looking at you and your mic technique. We really but, need I to know. work on that. I
0: know, I know, but come on. You know, I you know, put a mic in front of me, I blather <laughs> on. You know, that's what we do. It's called a podcast. We're blathering on. <laughs> blathering on. What's the crack? Head the ball. Well,
2: I'm off to Oslo. I heard. Yeah. I'm going off, and this will be be an interesting one, because remember we talked about. Dublin Port and moving Dublin Port before. Yeah. Oslo did that a number of years ago, and they've regenerated that whole area of, of the port city. And so I'm going to have a look at that. And also, you know the way when we look at any issue, you know, be it health or housing or whatever, we always look to the Scandies.
0: I know, to give you a pain in the hole. They're yeah. so perfect, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, they would, they're Like, you just feel like saying, can you yeah, do anything wrong?
2: But I'm going over to see if that is true. Actually, I want to go and see if what the story is with Norway, how they operate, and how the the sovereign wealth fund works as well.
0: Yeah, which is extraordinary. I think they're financed for about three hundred and seventy years or something mental like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. And then I'm going to shoot up to Tromso, which is uh, I think it's about three hundred and fifty kilometers inside the Arctic Circle, just on the on the corner of the very north of, of the of, Arctic Circle. Uh, yeah, fantastic, of Norway, and it's going to be superb. I
0: want I want those photographs of. Melting ice caps,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: Stranded polar bears,
2: all the stuff. I'll bring you back polar bear skin, okay?
0: No, I think that would be really unethical. That'd be really It'd unethical. Be a nice new
2: rug for, for, for the <laughs> HQ, exactly. <laughs> do
0: you know what we're going to talk about today? Go on. We first of all we're going to talk about China, what's going on? Because do you remember, last week or two or three weeks ago, we had Angelica Young Ng, Ng. Ng. on from Taiwan. Just- And she was talking about this amazingly severe crackdown in China. And you asked her, why now? Yes. And she said, well, there's a lot to do with geopolitics, whatever. But maybe it could also be as a result of this story, John, the Evergrande collapse of this huge, huge real estate company in China, right? Yeah. I mean, Evergrande is China's (laughs) Anglo-Irish. Just get your head around <laughs> yeah. that. Okay. I'm
2: sure, who's I, the David Drum I, there? I'm sure, I'm sure the Chinese
0: are really concerned about it. It's like, <laughs> oh, no, we're like Anglo. But it's the same sort of idea that you have at the epicenter of the finance system an out of control entity. Yeah. And the out of control entity is Evergrande. It has got $300 billion of debt okay? wow. on its balance sheet. And it is <laughs> deep. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of math, right? It is. At the epicenter of a finance system, which has morphed into a type of Irish Celtic Tiger finance system, where the banking system has expanded dramatically, all leveraged on construction.
2: Sorry, just just go back a little bit. Evergrande, is that a state-sponsored company? It State is. Company?
0: A quasi-state, quasi. It's, it's in the private sector, but as you know in China, everything's kind of in the private yeah, sector, yeah, yeah, but isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it is, though, it's it's fascinating is when these sorts of companies go bad, they're like, as the New Yorkers say, you know, the New Yorkers say, there's never one cockroach. You see one cockroach, there's yeah. always a hundred. Yeah. Okay? It's the same thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. here, right? When a big finance company goes bad, you can be assured, lots of little ones will get sucked into that vortex. Okay? So if this, if Evergrande collapses, which... Well, the share price has collapsed completely. Now that's always because in a bankruptcy, shareholders are wiped out. So mm. share prices fall first. But it's the idea that, do you know one thing that is worse for a country than not having enough money? is having too much money. Because right? having too I mean, much money leads to what they call in economics malinvestment, which is bad investment. One thing we do know, that money doesn't solve everything. If you have loads and loads and loads of money, you can put them into really, really, really bad projects. Yeah. And because you've loads of money, nothing is signaling from the market that these are bad investments, right? Until it's far too late. So the great example in Ireland was the ghost estates. Oh,
2: because you're Because right. the ghost yeah, estates
0: were like, oh, don't worry, we'll build, you know, estates in the middle of nowhere. And the reason they made sense was because the Irish banks were borrowing so much money. There was too much money in the country.
2: Right. we can okay. have
0: enough, there's too much. Right? China has been on the same riff the last four or five years. And the riff has been the following, which is to expand the Chinese consumer part of the Chinese economy. Because the Americans kept saying to the Chinese, you can't always be obsessed with exports. Remember this, mm. you can't export to us. So the Chinese said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to try to switch internally to elevate yeah. the local consumer side of the economy. Yeah. How yeah. do you do that? Always the best way to do that is via house prices. Because house prices generate wealth, or perceptions of wealth, and then people feel rich, then they go out and borrow more, they go out and spend more. That brings down the Chinese trade deficit, which is what they wanted, but it boosts up the consumer part. Now, part of consumption and house prices and effervescence is the celebrity culture that Angelica was talking about. It's part of the same suite, right? So when you go from the austerity of we're a manufacturing country that's going to get rich by making manufacturing goods and exporting them out to the likes of the United States, when you switch that to we're going to become a real estate country, where we're going to build apartments that nobody wants in places that nobody wants to yeah. live in
2: at prices we can't afford. Sure, wasn't there that footage there uh, last week of them blowing up? Was it three or four I saw massive it. apartment I saw blocks? It. Yeah,
0: just just dynamiting the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, because nobody wants to live there. So there's overinvestment. So you know we had ghost estates in Ireland. They've ghost cities yeah, in China, yeah, right? Yeah. Huge ones, right? And it's a bit like I was in Dubai there last week. Mm. It's got the bang of that off as well, you know. All these huge apartment blocks that nobody lives in. So, what? The only thing that can keep it all going is having more and more people coming in at the bottom, buying stuff that they don't really want. Right.
2: So, so then their policy of cracking down and getting back to getting back to their roots, as it were,
0: better be. What is it? What did she say? Red or dead?
2: Yeah, yeah. But so, so what's the upshot for for China if Evergrande goes bust? Well, it becomes. If they're unlucky, Mm. because a lot of this is to do with luck, it is the canary
0: in the coal mine. It's the sort of the Anglo. It's the one that goes bust first. Mm. But normally what happens is that because in real estate investing, everything is what they call cross-collateralized. So it means that banks are usually unbelievably linked to each other. So if one bank defaults, which is this idea of Evergrande, it leads to a series of defaults. And those series of defaults lead to what's called in economics the Minsky moment. You know our friend Minsky? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Minsky moment is when in a portfolio, which has got good and bad assets, Mm. that you have to sell good assets to cover the losses on bad assets. Why? Because nobody else will lend you money. So you have to sell in order to pay your debts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem with selling, it's all very well if only one player is selling. Like Evergrande, they can say, okay, we can liquidate these debts. We can sell these assets, Mm. get some money, pay these debts, and away we go. But that presupposes the price of real estate in China stays the same. But if everybody panics because of the kind of Lehman Brothers type trigger that this sends out signals, everybody sells at the same time. If everybody's selling, nobody's buying, buying, prices collapse, and the debtor becomes even more indebted, because the assets on their balance sheet have collapsed. So normally what they say is, you know, your ratio of assets to
2: death is X. Hang on a second. So does, does that mean that this could, like, absolutely shaft China?
0: This could be a financial crisis in China, not dissimilar to 2008 in the United States. Yes. If the Central Bank of China doesn't intervene.
2: And then what, what will that mean for the global economy?
0: Well, if China... China is already changing. Yeah, what it is presenting to the outside world, as we heard with Angelica, it's clamping down. I mean, they've already stopped the internet for kids, right? <laughs> yeah. It's clamping yeah. down on celebrity culture, westernization. It's much more nationalist, yada yada yada, right? Usually manifests itself in anti-Taiwanese and anti-Japanese talk. Yeah, in in the press. But if you get a financial crisis, I mean, what I'm still trying to do is link. Is this linked to that? Right. Yeah. Is this financial collapse linked? To the nationalism we're seeing because the party know that and in the trouble. military build up. Now it's far too early to say, but it's well worth, as it's saying, trying raising the red flag. <laughs>
2: <And> saying, this. <laughs> could we'll well- see what you did there. <laughs> Boy, I can
0: see what I did there. It's my little Chinese thing. This is one that we'll keep a watching brief on. And a bit like the Skibbereen Eagle when the Skibberine Eagle said <laughs> that it was watching the SAR. Did you ever hear that story? Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The David McWinion's podcast is watching the Politburo. <laughs> But one interesting thing about China has been that China has never been a colonial power. With the well, of course, if you're Tibetan, you might disagree with that. But with the exception of Tibet, the Chinese haven't projected their power outside China in a military way. Yeah. Right? For for many hundreds of years, we forget that China has been a unitary state. A unitary state for 2,000 years. Mm, think about that. Yeah. Like Europe is like this mishmash. And I mean, Germans, constantly think, we're, changing. Germans yeah, yeah. think we're important. The French think we're important. The Brits think we're important. The Italians. China has been a unified state.
2: Yeah. For thousands that's of amazing. Years. It is yeah. mental,
0: Right. So you, you can't see China in the context of the way we see the world. And it's never needed to project itself out because it has everything in China. Yeah. Like, you remember, we talked about the opium wars. When the Brits came to try and sell something, to the Chinese. Yeah, going, we don't we want to. We don't want your shit. We got everything here, right? So they've never. got Leyland cars? No. Yeah. Hillman hunters? <laughs> I don't think so. I'll pass on that. But the point is, they've never been a colonial power. And now what I want to do is I want to talk about neo colonialism, right? Because remember, yes. we talked about our friend Casement? Yes. And the yes. colonies and all that sort yes. of stuff? Yeah. I want to go down to the Caribbean because next week or in two weeks' time, the European Union is going to issue its new blacklist of small countries who it deems to be badly behaved.
2: Yeah, we touched on this last year when we had Marla on before. And now it's and an she- update on that. Yes. And so it's
0: Marla Ducaran. She's down, She's from Trinidad, but she's in Barbados. And she has a totally different take. And I think it's something we should be aware of. You know, if we're talking about colonialization, and white versus black, and rich versus poor, and north versus south. Let's get the view from the south. Marla, how are you? Good to see you. Uh,
3: Good to see you too, David. I'm great. Here down here, the the heat, the sweltering heat in Barbados.
0: (laughs) How how is it? It's just ridiculous.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think Barbados, uh, in Barbados, September is supposedly the hottest month of the year. So, you know, I'm dripping sweat. I thought I was menopausal, but no, I
1: can't
2: to <laughs> <with> everybody. <laughs> Open the fridge door. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
0: That's a road we could go down. The, the middle-aged road, we could go down. No, no, we'll let us go back. I want to come back mm. to the issue of taxation, to the issue mm-hmm. of blacklisting. What's the story? Mm-hmm. The EU next week or within the next couple of weeks, because they don't actually ever give us the precise date, are going to issue a threat, really, to a lot of very poor countries. Explain what's going on.
3: Well, so, you know, the EU has two blacklists, right? One for anti-money laundering and combating the financing of terrorism, that compliance framework, and then their tax blacklist. And as I had published, you know, a couple of years ago, and you and I have talked about before, only ever on these two blacklists, are there countries that are poor, developing, basically the global South, none of them are predominantly white. So which is why it's called blacklist, because there are no white countries on these blacklists, right? Um So so perfect nomenclature there. And so they are updating, they updated periodically, these blacklists, and, and early October is when we expect the next iteration. And, you know, one of the interesting things is that you have countries that you know, in the Caribbean are perennially on the blacklist, being labeled as tax havens, being labeled as money laundering hotspots. And then there's a country called Vanuatu in, in the Pacific near to Australia that is actually poorer than Haiti in terms of GDP per capita. And it's the single most vulnerable country on earth to natural disasters. And they're on both blacklists. There are only two countries on both blacklists, my country, Trinidad and Tobago, and Vanuatu and Vanuatu is microscopic but you see this this stance that they take of blacklisting you know the global south countries the poorest and most vulnerable countries on earth i believe is neocolonialism um and another so, way hey, no, so explain keep- that so
0: mm-hmm. so explain why you believe this is neocolonialism because the the view up here and i know you'll say well the view up here you're very white and you're very rich and you're very european okay is that money laundering is a bad thing and tax evasion Mm -hmm. is a bad thing. Now, it's articulating this in Ireland is kind of hypocritical, but but nonetheless, nonetheless, (laughs) right? And so the narrative, for example, from global charities, take it, right, from Christian Aid or whatever, is that...
3: And Oxfam and so on. Yeah,
0: is Mm -hmm. that money laundering is a very negative thing, which normally or can really affect poor people more because lots and lots of money leaves poor countries to be hidden in tax havens in order to enrich the very small amount of rich people in poor countries. So what do you, what do you say like let's 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 open the whole colonial thing yes. up. Let's open it. I mean, Give me your view of it.
3: I mean David, I think there is no country on earth where there is no tax evasion and no money laundering taking place. Once you, there is a crime from which you derive Monetary value, like even if somebody rips my gold chain off and sells it for $10 and then they use those $10 to put it in their bank account or to buy lunch, that's money laundering. Okay, the money is being brought into the legitimate financial system. And there is tax evasion everywhere, okay, and tax avoidance everywhere on earth. The question is the degree. You know, it's only 7 million US dollars that's lost in tax avoidance or tax evasion in Vanuatu every year. Seven million U.S. dollars is no money. You have billions of dollars every year being lost to tax evasion, as well as money laundering in London, in Luxembourg, in Switzerland, in, you know, in the biggest financial centers in the world. That is where the majority of this ki- kind of activity takes place. And none of these countries ever get blacklisted. It's the little countries with seven million dollars being lost. Come on get real and so you blacklist a whole country and that means that a country that's already on its knees loses the kind of access that it needs to the international financial system to to pay for imports to get paid for exports to borrow money internationally to get foreign aid you know and and it really does not solve the problem of blacklisting as a matter of fact the EU parliament itself identified that there is one strategic weakness in the EU's tax blacklist, one major weakness, and you know what that is, David? There are actually no tax havens on the EU tax blacklist. It's all poor little countries that you know a little bit of money leaks out, and some companies might hide a little bit of their activity. The actual tax havens do not appear on the tax list, and that was identified by the European Parliament.
0: And what it's, are the actual tax havens? Give me, give me a few examples.
3: The tax havens are where I mean, and tax, the Tax Foundation or Tax Justice Network identifies a lot of them. The city of London, I mean, you and I have discussed this before as well. London is where a lot of companies move money through. You have Malta, you have Jersey, Guernsey, Isle of Man, Luxembourg, Switzerland, you know, probably the best and oldest example. But these are very powerful countries. They're rich countries. They're European countries. And so the EU is not going to shoot itself in the foot and blacklist them. They, they can much more easily point the finger at the small, poor countries that have marginal influence, if any at all. We all, collectively, all the blacklisted countries account for less than 1% of global economic activity, less than
0: 1%. So explain to me what it feels like from you in the South looking up at us in the North.
3: Uh, it's utmost hypocrisy. And it feels like like neocolonialism, because okay, so colonialism was an economic model where we rape and pilfer from these other countries, whether it be natural resources, whether it be sugar, agricultural resources, and we send the gains of this activity back home to the motherland, right? So there isn't any of that anymore for all of us who are independent, we don't engage in that kind of activity. but We are competing in a certain, to a very tiny extent, with the big countries. We're competing for jobs. We're competing for business. We're competing for capital. We're competing basically to survive for economic activity. And big countries are recognizing that small countries, in order to be competitive, we are within our sovereign sovereign right, just like Ireland is to lower our tax rate, to make it more competitive so that we attract capital, because we don't have any capital, we're so mm-hmm. tiny, so that we attract capital so that we can build industries, whether it be tourism or manufacturing or services or whatever. And and so we compete in a, in a sense with big countries and they don't like this. They would much prefer being able, like France being the jurisdiction with the highest tax rates in the whole of the EU, They much prefer to implement this sort of leftist, you know, socialist policy of taxing, having very high taxes that you then redistribute via free services to your population, rather than the approach that some countries have taken where you have low taxes and you try to drive private sector activity and let the private sector generate jobs and incomes. And we are within our right to have that kind of business model, but I guess some countries don't like that and would rather penalize us by putting us on this blacklist, penalize us and destroy us so that we're no longer competitive and um, and they can carry on with their left policies, which I don't I don't disagree with, but you know, it's their approach. We need to be able to have the freedom to implement our own economic model. So what
0: you're saying, if you look at it historically, that the huge amount of the infrastructure, the capital infrastructure of wealthy European countries was Mm -hmm. actually taken from mm-hmm. very poor countries over a period Polonies, of a hundred yes. over a period mm-hmm. of a hundred years, week mm-hmm. in, week out, always. And the greatest mm-hmm. statistic is that I know, and you'll know this being of Indian origin, that when the British arrived in India, India counted for 32% of global GDP. And when they left, it counted for three yeah. percent. So if you yeah. can imagine mm-hmm. how much money was robbed. From India, of
3: course, yes, and yes. in fact, even your, your own
0: family were actually uprooted from India, weren't they?
3: Well, they weren't uprooted, I mean, that's the thing about indentured labor in the Caribbean. They decided to leave, I guess they thought it was I mean economic migrants, I guess thinking that they're going for a better life, but David, I mean, I make no mistake. I am so glad my forefathers came to the Caribbean. I would not have liked to have been born a, a woman in India, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's so absolutely put true. That on the table and and
0: in actual fact, in terms in terms of a, of a society that works, I mean, Trinidad. I know you think it doesn't work. I know you're very critical. But in terms of ethnically, it's an mm. amazing mosaic, Trinidad.
3: Absolutely, yeah. We have, I mean, almost any ethnicity you can name. We have African, Indian, Chinese, Arab, and of course European. And it's it really is a melting pot of lots of ethnicities, which is why the food is so good, and which is why we're so beautiful.
2: We're so mixed. <laughs> Ain't that the truth, Marla?
0: <laughs> yeah, don't be getting poor old John going. You know, you know, it's only it's a Saturday morning here. He's he's already he's already awake. But let's go back to to to, to the colonial idea because I want I want to conclude there. Right, mm-hmm. in the coming weeks, the European Union will announce the new blacklist. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody in the global South who doesn't think that this? should be seen through the context of colonialism, bullying, who's the top dog, who's not the top dog, that sort of idea, that it's not actually a level playing field. But what we are back to is Europeans and Americans saying, look, you little people down there, how dare you think you can use your sovereignty to even put a little pinprick into our prosperity? Is that what you all see?
3: Of course. It's the whole might is right, and and forgive me, but white is right. You know, um, it it is remarkable, David, how can you design a methodology for two blacklists that not a single country that appears on these lists is is a white country, right? And how come not a single one of these countries is a rich country? So countries that, as you know, finance terrorism like Saudi Arabia, you know, they don't end up on the blacklist because they're too powerful. Venezuela even, where all money is laundering being laundered in Venezuela does not appear on the blacklist. Why? Because Venezuela has the number one reserves of crude oil in the world. So once you have power and ethnic as well, we are white, you don't appear on these blacklists. And of course, everybody sees this through the lens of white is right. Might is right. And of course, you know, once you're poor and you're not white and you've been colonized, that predisposes you to always be bullied. By your former colonizers because they feel like they still have the authority to tell you how to run your own affairs.
2: Marna, do you remember last year we spoke to you about this very thing and you were highlighting the issue of blacklisting by the European Union. So where is it going to go from here, do you think?
3: Well, the thing about it is you we continue to people like me and of course the authorities in various blacklisted countries continue to agitate, continue to lobby with the EU and with other authorities, even the UN, to raise and highlight how unfair this treatment is. It's unilateral. The the EU is not supposed to subject anybody other than its own members to its own methodologies, yet still no member country is on their blacklist. So it's unilateral, it's disproportionate, it's unfair. And so we continue to lobby, but we also continue to try to make sure that our own domestic systems are compliant. The problem with that is the minute we are compliant and we get taken off a blacklist, guess what? They change the rules. Yeah. And they say, wait, hang on, we would like to add this little thing over here. So for example, this global m- minimum tax rate that's being discussed, which of course Ireland had opposed. I think Ireland and Barbados were one of the few four countries to object to this global minimum tax rate. You know, this is another example of the fact that, you know, once you comply, then the rules change. How do you then tell a country that has never had corporate tax like Bahamas, like Cayman, that you now have to impose a 15 percent tax on all the multinational corporations in, in your jurisdiction? And so we then have something else to comply with. And then until we comply, they put us on the blacklist. And so it's a never ending cycle. It's designed to keep us on our knees and keep us subjugated as if we were colonized.
2: Well, Marla, we'll we'll continue to highlight the issue anyway, for sure.
0: We will, and we'll talk about menopause. (laughs) 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 Marla, listen, gorgeous to see you. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll see you really soon. So thanks
3: so much. See ya. Thank you. Take care. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Mac, was it you who was saying that the Caribbean accent... Marla's accent is akin to the Cork accent. John, there actually is a basis of the first thing I can tell you was a
0: very funny night with myself, Marla, and about four Jamaican economists from the Bank of Jamaica, the central bank, who are a total laugh, right? You should watch their videos on YouTube. They're brilliant. They're hilarious, right? Okay. Talking about the accent. And I showed them a video or a YouTube clip of Martin's life, which is this brilliant Cork-based comedy. And they couldn't believe it. They said, that's us, man. Anyway. (laughs) But there is a basis in the 1640s, right? Between 60 and 80,000 Irish people were exported, deported to Barbados and Jamaica, the two big English colonies, right? And- These became the,
2: the red legs. The red legs. Yeah.
0: Rihanna is one of them. Yes. Rihanna is one of them, right? And their accent must have traveled because it really sounds similar. You take a Jamaican accent and a proper Cork accent. Now, the interesting thing is people also felt that Shakespeare spoke like people from Yale, from East Cork. Lots of linguists have tried really? to figure out what Shakespeare's accent was like. So the Elizabethan accent, what did it actually sound like? Yeah. And many people believe it sounded like the accent of East Cork. Why? Because East Cork is where that accent remained, Right. Untouched. So, so if you think of England, all the various different people have come, and gone, and whatever, right? Mm. Okay, so accents change as people yeah, come yeah, in. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Whereas places like East Cork have not really changed that dramatically. So people think that the Shakespearean accent. Just an indictment from, on them. Yeah, I know, yeah, so- exactly. It came from around y'all, right? Number one. But number two, the accent that exists in the Caribbean sounds like people from Cork. Right. <laughs> and maybe, just maybe, the majority of people who were deported to the Caribbean yeah. in the 1640s, were
2: from Munster. I can imagine Bob Marley going, yeah, man, you langar. Yeah, exactly.
0: Come here, langar, <laughs> one cha. Oh, perfect. But let's go back to Marley's stuff, right? When you see the policies of the European Union from their set of eyes, from the southern set of eyes, and you think, okay, Ireland, which we do all sorts of tax jiggery-pokery, never yeah. blacklisted, Luxembourg, Guernsey, the city of London, Saudi Arabia on the terrorists. Mm. Saudi Arabia, we know, is a terrorist finance. We yes. know that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Massive, massive. And it's fascinating. You know, one thing which is always the case, and I think it's so critical in, in every sort of analysis, John, is to try and see the world from other people's shoes. You know, like, well, you know, that's, you know, walk in my shoes, just see the world as I see it. And because I spent some time working for this development bank of the Caribbean. Hmm. You know, you see the world from their perspective, and it's completely different. And when I look at what's coming out of Brussels right now, you kind of think, hold on a second. Why are we not blacklisting white rich countries and only blacklisting poor black
2: countries? Yeah. That's the question. Before we let you go, I just want to give you a quick glimpse of a recent TED Talk by Stephanie Kelton. Now, Stephanie, as you may know, has been on this podcast and has been a guest down in Kilkenomics. She's a U.S. economist and at the forefront of the new MMT movement, modern monetary theory. Have a listen to this clip.
1: When we hear the word deficit, we probably think of a deficiency or shortfall. A deficit always sounds ominous. So when we hear that the federal government just ran a $3 trillion budget deficit, it can sound worrying, and it can even anger people. But there's another way to think about government deficits. Just as a six becomes a nine when we view it from a different angle, a government deficit becomes a financial surplus when we look at it from another perspective. Here's what I see. I see what's happening on the other side of the government's ledger. When the government spends more than it taxes away from us, it makes a financial contribution to some other part of the economy. Their red ink is our black ink. When you look at it this way, it becomes clear that every deficit is good for someone. The question is, for whom? And what are those deficits being used to accomplish? It matters how the money is spent and who ends up with the resulting surplus. Tax cuts that deliver huge windfalls for those at the top, without sparking investment and opportunity for the rest of the population, don't make good use of deficits. On the other hand, spending trillions to support the economy during the pandemic put the deficit to good use. We just had the shortest recession in U.S. history. To me, that was fiscally responsible. Being responsible shouldn't mean running the government's finances like a household. Instead of trying to keep the deficit in check, Congress should be focused on keeping inflation in check. That's the real limit on spending. And it's the thing to watch out for if you're thinking about spending trillions on things like infrastructure, healthcare, and free college. Instead of asking, how will we pay for it? Congress should be asking, how will we resource it?
2: So you can hear this TED Talk with Stephanie Kelton, along with loads of other really brilliant TED Talks. So that's TED Talk daily, wherever you get your podcasts.